Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're here with a pretty special guest to talk about ketones. So, Michael, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, what's up, everybody? And Derek, Mike, thanks for having me on. It's going to be a fun conversation, I can already tell. I'm Michael Brandt. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Health Via Modern Nutrition, HVMN. Maybe maybe you've seen us around. We make a product that's called Ketone IQ. It's a pure ketone dial. It's a fuel source, really popular in the endurance community and beyond. It's just a general fuel source that people use for recording podcasts, jamming on spreadsheets, writing their memoirs, whatever. Whenever you need like a really pure fuel source, that's what Ketone IQ is for. Um, we created it. Back in 2017, we launched the world's first pure ketone drink. In 2019, we got a multi-million dollar contract with United States Department of Defense Special Operations Command to create pure ketone drinks for physically and cognitively demanding missions. We can talk more about that. And basically, I've been working at the cutting edge of endurance performance nutrition for some time now. I, my background is I'm a, I'm a big biohacker and endurance nut. I've uh, marathoner, two forty two marathoner, have run some ultras. Nothing in the you know Coca Dona two fifty mile ballpark yet. I've done you know Burning Man ultra marathon, formidable uh, in um, Auburn, California. So I, I've I've uh, got my toe in the water with some of the bigger, longer distance stuff. But I really love marathoning. Um, do some triathlons as well, and have long been into just personal optimization. How do you, how do we expand not just our performance as runners, but performance at health span, lifespan, number of healthy years that we have in this world, energy levels throughout the day. And I've been really passionate about that for the last decade and really excited for this conversation today and like pulling it all together here on, on the endurance community. Yes, hey man, I'm stoked to chat. Um, I've heard a lot about the company for a long time and even tried some of the ketone esters or I guess ketone IQ at Moab 240 last year. So that was cool to experiment with those a little bit. But um, first question before we jump too far ahead and just set the record straight, how do you actually say the name of the company? Because I've heard people say Hivimanin, Human, HVMN, MN. So like, how would you, um, like what's the actual proper way to say it according to a co-founder? Yeah, so you'll see it. It's HVMN and HVMN.com and at HVMN. It stands for Health Via Modern Nutrition. We created the company to come up with really cool concepts in human performance. And it also, you know, some people read it as human. It's got this kind of like stylistic to it. But the technical name of the company is Health Via Modern Nutrition, HVMN. So is the is ketone IQ the the only thing, or are there other products that you guys also uh, invite people to supplement with? Ketone IQ is the only thing. It's actually interesting. Just backstory as an entrepreneur, where like we've worked on different concepts over the years. We started the business to make something really cool, and when we discovered ketone IQ, that really became the focus. It's kind of a pattern of entrepreneurship where you don't always have like the exact, exact idea when you start the company, like we were taking different shots on goal. We, we were really early in nootropics space. We actually, my co-founder and I were on shark tank with one of our nootropics products and that actually did really well. And then we used that as a platform to create the world's first ketone ester drink. And then once we got the like, special forces involved and started working with elite athletes, and a lot of the Tour de France riders have been buying and using our ketones and just endurance athletes in general. Now it's expanding to like every, like golf and football and all, all different sports and non-sports that um, 
the main reason people are ringing on our doorbell is ketone IQ. And so we're just consolidating and really focusing on that as our, as our hero. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. It, you use the term uh, nootropic. Uh, I know yeah. that I became familiar to that word last year, but do you want to describe what that is for those who might not know what a nootropic is? Sure. Yeah. Nootropic is a cognitive supplement and the most obvious one is caffeine and caffeine's a nootropic that, you know, billion cups of coffee are drank every day. Caffeine, there's a million pieces of literature around it, right? It increases alertness, increases wakefulness. Like it helps you with cognitive scores in an objective way. And for most people, some people don't love caffeine. Uh, so caffeine is a nootropic and then you can start like stacking other things with it. So, you know, if caffeine is level zero, obvious one, then you, uh, one thing people start mixing is like L-theanine, which is found in tea and it's a anxiolytic, meaning that it makes you less anxious, reduces your jitteriness. So when you, when you stack caffeine with L-theanine, you get the benefits of caffeine, but it's less jittery and has a better performance profile for a lot of people. So like, that's like level two is like caffeine and theanine is a popular nootropic blend. And then it goes like, there's a whole rabbit hole, right? You can start going into like microdosing. You can start ordering Russian Alzheimer's medicine off of dark web. Like you, you can go very deep. There's a, there's a subreddit for nootropics. There's different companies that sell different combinations and blends there. And I think it's super cool space, super cool idea. Uh, you could think of ketone IQ as a nootropic. We don't really frame it as that. It does help you with mental acuity. Um, I don't, it's not a normal sense, but generally, you know, I would say cousin, as far as like something that it does help you feel more like mentally sharp in doing what you're doing throughout the day. Nice. LP and is kind of like my go-to when I make coffee and stuff, I'll do like a bulletproof coffee and add LP and and collagen to it. Then it is pretty incredible, like how cheap it is and how effective it is as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And, and when you're doing that, bulletproof coffee it's it's cool a lot of people who are into performance they tend to have this like witch's brew that they have in the morning it's like coffee or a smoothie where like over the years you like add in oh i do like essential amino acids or i add collagen or i add mct like it's it's cool how that point in the day becomes this like product that you're designing for yourself in your life like you bulletproof so you're putting like mcts in there it sounds like yeah, so I do like obviously butter and MCT, like just the classic. Um, yeah. And I'll add L-theanine and collagen. And sometimes I'll add like a mushroom blend to it as well. I don't know if that's technically nice. nootropic or not, but uh, there's a lot of data around it. And um, mm -hmm. it sits well with me. And like I did it for my run this morning and felt great. So I don't know. I don't really have any reason to like not not take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The It's really cool It's what's been going on with Bulletproof Coffee over the last five, 10 years, the whole idea of like, fat being really good for you. And that's something we can talk more about something we think a lot about where like a lot of the reason why you put fat in your coffee is because you, by fueling with fat instead of sugar, there's certain advantages and the, that fat, when you metabolize it, it turns into ketones in order to power your brain. Like fat is actually too large to cross the blood brain barrier. Sugar glucose can cross the blood brain barrier and fuel your neurons fat is, it does not cross the blood brain barrier. It needs to be turned into something called ketones that then do cross the blood brain barrier. So a lot of people subjectively feel better on that type of fueling. And that's why we went and invented, you know, we, we're looking at 
things like Bulletproof Coffee and MCT five plus years ago and saying, hey, this is really cool. This turns into ketones. That feels really good. It's metabolically healthy. All this, all these positive attributes. Why can't you just go to the store and buy a ketone? And that's what the mission has been for the last like five, six, seven years. And I mean, we're talking now April, 2023, like just a couple of weeks ago, we just launched our ketone IQ shots into sprouts nationwide. So it's building it brick by brick. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, Oh, go ahead, Derek. Sorry. Um, I was just going to like have a clarification question. So like, I think people, most people are watching this kind of a general idea of what ketones are. Then they'll hear Mm -hmm. terms like endogenous ketones versus exogenous. And so like drinking bulletproof coffee, you can make your own ketones out of the MCTs and the fats and that, and then taking Mm -hmm. a shot of like a ketone esters an exogenous way to get it. So can you kind of like describe like, like your body producing them versus an exogenous ketone, like a ketone ester? Yeah. Yeah. I I think you laid it out really well. There's this idea of endogenous and exogenous. And I think the easy way to keep track of those words is like, if you remember, like spiders have an exoskeleton, Spider-Man has an exoskeleton. It's a skeleton outside of your body. Exo meaning outside and then endo meaning it's inside. Humans have an endoskeleton. It's inside of our body. So endogenous means that inside of your body, it is being generated. Exogenous means outside of your body, it is being generated. And you, I mean, this is true about a lot of you, like if you have sugar, you're technically having exogenous sugar. If you're in a starved state and your body is, you know, rip tearing down muscle to use for energy and turning that into sugar, then that would be considered endogenous sugar. So this framework is something that exists across categories of nutrition within ketones in particular. It's like, yeah, you exogenously, you can drink a ketone drink, like what we have with ketone IQ and that's exogenous ketones. It's just immediately bio bioavailable ketones. So you drink ketone IQ and in 10, 15 minutes, if you were to do a finger prick of your, and read your blood ketone level, you would see it elevated into this like performance enhancing zone. That's exogenous ketones. If you fast or starve, or you're not eating a lot of carbohydrates to begin with, or if you're running for a couple hours plus your body will naturally run low on blood sugar in any of those contexts I just mentioned, you'll, you'll run low on blood sugar. And whenever you're low on blood sugar, blood glucose, your body will make ketones endogenously. So you will start turning fat into ketones because you need energy, like your brain, especially humans have the largest brain for our body mass. Our brains use a ton of energy. And again, fat doesn't cross the blood brain barrier. Sugar does glucose does, but when you're running low on that, you need a backup energy source. And that's why our body evolutionarily for 300,000 years, we've had ketones circulating through our system because our body and brain need it. Well, that's super fascinating. Uh, Mike, did you have a question? Uh, that was the same question to, to describe what ketones are. <laughs> um, do you know, like, um, like in your opinion, and I know there's data out there on it, but like, what's the difference between our brains getting energy from glucose versus ketones? Yeah, there's a, there's a few different differences where they go through different pathways or mediated by different enzymes to turn into ATP. If people remember like high school mm-hmm. biology class, mitochondria is the power plant of the cell. All of our cells, including our neurons and our brain have a lot of mitochondria. They're the power plants are always going where energy is needed within a cell and they're turning substrates like glucose, like ketones, and they're turning it into 
ATP for cellular energy for different functions that take place. So you know, maintaining the cell, getting rid of waste products in your brain, things like firing your synapses, triggering hormones. So like mitochondria are super important. They take the building blocks, the like substrates, and they turn it into ATP. The way that you do that with glucose is different from the way that you do that with ketones. Really key difference, like there's a lot of differences, but the, the one like major, major, super important difference is glucose requires insulin, whereas ketones do not. So insulin is really key because when you eat sugar, anything with carbohydrates breaks down into sugar. So if you eat fruit, pasta, starches, just any carbohydrates that turns into blood glucose. And in order to use that as energy, your body releases something called insulin. And over time, if you have too much blood sugar, like if you basically eat too much sugar over the course of your life, the insulin stops working. So you need to release more and more insulin in order to metabolize the carbohydrates, sugars that you are eating. And in a lot of times in the standard American diet, we're eating way too much sugar. And when that insulin stops working, that's called diabetes, which is top like the top way that people are you know, ill in this country. It, diabetes leads to cardiovascular disease, leads to mental degradation. It causes a lot, like it's either the direct cause or it's an indirect cause of like pretty much all the major ways that people are unwell in the country. So eating a lot of sugar, spiking your insulin all day, generally not good, but a little bit is, a, is good. Like totally normal. You, you're on a run, you slam a goo shot, your blood sugar is going to go up. Your insulin is going to go up to address that glucose. And then you're going to turn it into fuel and, and have a nice day. Ketones turn into ATP without using insulin. And so they, they skip that step. So it's a different pathway. So if you're just a normal, healthy marathoner, ultra marathoner, it's nice to have two different sources of energy that go through different pathways. Like the way that I would run an ultra marathon is have both. I would have, you know, goo or Morton or whatever, have a, have carbohydrate based fueling, and then also have ketone IQ and have two forms of fuel that go through two different pathways. For some folks in our community who are insulin resistant, or they're just trying to eat really low sugar, the idea of a pure ketone that doesn't spike insulin or doesn't need insulin is really special. It's, it makes it, it's a unique characteristic of an exogenous ketone. I mean, fats in general don't really spike. Like if you eat avocado, there might be like a tiny insulin spike, but generally like stuff that's low sugar, higher in fats is going to not spike your insulin. And that has a, a bunch of benefits to it. I think you're muted, Derek. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I muted myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was interesting. Like last month, Mike and I, we wore level CGMs. And so we we're just checking all these different things with our blood sugar and stuff. And it's really fascinating to see how, like when you're fasted, obviously your blood glucose doesn't change too much. Then eating like a high fat protein, like meal, for example, like you basically went up nothing, which is pretty mm -hmm. interesting. And like for myself personally, like eating like, or taking like a gel or something, it's just like, oh, wow, like my blood sugar would spike and less during an exercise, like say I'm doing a workout and I take a gel. But then if I just had like, say some straight sugar or fructose or whatever, glucose, when I'm not exercising, it was crazy to see how fast that would spike and, and how quickly I'd come back down as well. Yeah. I mean, levels is fascinating. We're definitely friends with the, with Casey, the, the co-founder chief medical officer over there I had dinner with her not too long ago. And 
small investor in their their business and love what they're doing. It's like continuous glucose management, super interesting to see how you're doing. It was, it's crazy, right? Like how much better data you get when you're wearing it versus going to your doctor once a year and getting your blood glucose. Like the point, like there, there's no point to that. It's like if you went to your mechanic once a year to tell you how fast you're driving, it's like that, that variable just changes a constantly a thousand times too much. Like I want to know like how I'm actually doing right now and, and to be able to see some of the stuff that you're seeing, like when you're, when you're running and, you know, a big thing that, that levels will push. And I, you know, a lot of people advocating for metabolic health is little things like, yeah, if you do have a carby, especially sugary, you know, really refined processed carbs are really spiky on your blood glucose. If you do eat something like that, like even going for a walk, like going for a walk after dinner or lunch, if you had something like that, it's going to address like address that spike that you're having like what you want to avoid is like the drastic spikes and then like sitting on your couch like that's like metabolic death so like either like spike it less or if you're going to spike it like be doing something active so that, like like you're not there was no goo shots on the savannah there was no peanut butter cups on the savannah like we weren't meant to have like 30 grams of pure sugar and then just like sit around watching Netflix. Like that there's there's no evolutionary basis for that. If we if if you're having a bunch of sugar, it's helpful to be moving around and and burning it off. Definitely. So thinking about like what you're saying, like I guess we backtrack a lot. You're saying you you've run a 242 marathon, which is super respectable. Like that's an awesome time. Um, but then you're also mentioning like dual, dual fuel sources. That's hard to say <laughs> for whatever reason, um, by using glucose and ketones. So like, what would be the benefit of being, being able to switch between glucose and ketones as far as fueling? Like, I, I'm super curious. Cause I just, this last weekend I ran a half marathon, um, out by right. Zion and it was awesome. But like, I just had two, um, precision hydration gels like the entire time. Um, but I'm curious, I guess on fueling for like a, like an endurance event, like what would be the benefit of using ketones in that? Yeah. What you want to do for endurance, it starts like before racing. Like if you just rewind even further to training mode, a lot of what you do in your training is you're developing metabolic flexibility. So if you're doing like a 12, 16 week build, or you're just generally fit as an endurance athlete in general, your body is relatively much better than the average person at turning fat into ketones your body only stores a small amount of glucose and you need to be good at the backup energy system of fat and ketones if you're only good at glucose that's fine if you're a sprinter but if you're ever going to be doing so i think half marathon is kind of the line like once you go in like full marathon and beyond you certainly are at a spot where you're not going to be able to fuel on glucose alone even if you're eating gels, because you can only digest things so quickly. So your, your body is going to need to tap into the fat ketone energy system. So that's why a lot of runners will do, you know, zone two runs in a fasted state, right? You do like a lower intensity run without fueling, and it's going to induce your body to make ketones. You're going to, you're going to have to pull fat and you're running at a slow enough intensity where you can like fully fuel off of fat for that run. And so in your training, you're developing this metabolic flexibility. You're developing the ability for your body to be able to pull on your fats, make endogenous ketones, and then you know, building up to the race, you carb load, you make sure your glycogen stores are fully repleted. And then you show up on race day, you slam another 
gel, you just get all completely topped up on glycogen. And then you're in the state where you have full glycogen stores and you're metabolically flexible. So you you have the enzymes built up that are able to turn fat into ketones and use that as your like backup endurance battery. And then if you have ketone IQ, if you have exogenous ketones available, it basically go, goes as like this other fuel source where it goes not through your glucose pathway, it goes through your fat and ketone pathway. So it's, it's parallelized. It's not using the same enzymes as, as glucose is using to metabolize. And then you're able to dual fuel off of glucose and ketones. One of the key factors is to like underline is that the process of turning fat into usable energy is kind of slow. Like that's the key fact. Glucose, you don't store a lot of it, but it's super quick and super efficient. So you can store like 2000 calories of glucose glycogen in your muscles and your liver, 2000 calories. And you can like burn through that, that pretty quickly because you're burning a couple hundred calories an hour, sometimes more, and you can burn through that super quickly. Fat, fat, you have you know, 200,000 calories of in your body, even if you're a lean person. So you have like two orders of magnitude more energy that can be stored as fat, but it's a lot slower. So you can think about the difference between like RAM versus a hard drive. Like you, you can't store as much on RAM, but it's very quick. And then your hard drive way, 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 way bigger, but like slower to access that. So you get better as an endurance athlete at accessing that fat. Like you do get quicker at it, but the, the really cool thing about exogenous ketone is that you're able to basically get something that's very fast bioavailable, but that's going through this turnpike that is generally much slower and it's non-competitive with your glucose pathway. That makes sense. So I guess kind of what you're saying then is like, if we were to compare different, different ways, the body, um, would use a ketone or create a ketone. So it's like, if you were running like a 50 miler or a hundred miler and just like ate a stick of butter versus taking a couple ketone IQ shots, or is it some sort of exogenous ketone, you're going to metabolize those exogenous ketones a lot faster and efficiently and more efficiently than that stick of butter. Right. That's exactly right. It's like, like there are gels that are like MCT based, or I haven't seen a butter one, but yeah, like to, like to use that as yeah. an example, it's like, if you were, if you just had an avocado in the middle of a race, it really depends how fast you're going. And that's where like, if, when you're going slower speeds, so some ultra marathoners swear, like they won't even touch sugar. So like Zach bitter is like super low carb guy. I think he might have like some carbs around racing, but his whole point is like, look, when you're doing super long distances, your, your sugar, it's like, irrelevant. Like it's such a small amount relative to the overall amount of work that you're putting out that you just ha actually have to be really metabolically flexible. Like you actually have to be really good at the fat and ketone system. Uh, if you're running an 800, if you're running a, you know, 10 K whatever, like, okay, you, you will be glucose dominant for that. But if you're going a longer distance and if you're going at, you know, zone two, like a relatively lower speed relative to your, like maximum heart rate, maximum exertion, which you would be doing if you're doing anything like long, like you're not going to be running, you're probably running zone two. If you're running an ultra marathon, you're probably not going, you're probably not burning the match too hard. And in those cases, then yeah, you, you really can pull from your fat and ketone system, even though it's a little slower than your glucose. Well, you're not running that fast. And then the advantage of having this energy system, that's a much, much a hundred times bigger battery is super advantageous.
No, that makes sense. And like just thinking about like last year, um, before we started recording, um, uh, we were talking about just longer distance stuff. Like Mike is running Cocodona 250 in a few weeks. And um, last year at Moab 240, I was pacing and crewing Jeff Browning. And um, day one, I did like a 26 mile segment with him. And then the following morning, I did a 40 mile with him. And it was interesting because he gave us a bunch of ketone IQ shots. And I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll try it. Because like, it's, it wasn't necessarily a race for me. It's like, definitely don't try new things on race day. But it was like, I'm still pacing and going 40 miles. But like, I hadn't really thought about it much since then. But I took a couple of shots, like one before and then one during um, that 40 mile stretch. And thinking about it, like we bar- like I barely took in any calories that entire time. Granted, we're running like a, a slower pace. So we're definitely like zone two. And we're not running like marathon pace by any means, especially at the end of Moab 240. But it was interesting thinking back how like it just felt pretty consistent the entire time. I never had any stomach issues or anything, even going 40 miles in the sun. Well, I guess it was freaking cold at the start because we we're up in the LaSalle Mountains. It was pretty cold. Then it got really hot. But we like I barely consumed any like carbohydrates or calories that entire time. And it just just kind of felt good. So I'm I'm just making an assumption that I was basically just running off of ketones at that point. Yeah. And when you have ketone IQ, when you have an exogenous ketone, it helps your body like switch into that mode like it like because it basically is priming the pump for that energy system and so you are using the calories that are inside a ketone iq but you're also priming your pump to use your own endogenous ketones so that's cool i'm glad you had a, a good day out i mean I'm glad we were a small part of that and obviously like the, the training and just epicness of running with jeff and that trails is like the the big highlight there for su- sure. super cool yeah, for sure. And he's a huge fan of the of uh, exogenous ketone shots. Like even during Western yeah. States, he'll take them, which is more of a running race. And so he combines definitely a lot of like like gel sources of carbs along with ketones. And it's pretty interesting on how he manages that. Yeah, it's it's neat, right? When you look at the state of the art of of sugar carbohydrate based gels, like precision hydration and science and sport, morta and goo, like they're all doing this, which is they'll have different types of sugar inside of it. The idea being that, well, like glucose versus fructose versus maltodextrin, they're, they go through like slightly different pathways. At the end of the day, they're all sugar. So like they, they share a lot in common, but by being slightly different, you do get some parallelization in in the metabolism of those. And which is really cool. Like, like old school, like, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago is like, you were probably just having you know, straight uh, people would drink like flat Coca-Cola or something. It was just like, okay, that's sugar. It's caffeine. It works. Just basic version one. We're at a really interesting spot in nutrition innovation where it's like, okay, well, let's paralyze a few different types of carbohydrates. Uh, and then ketones of course are like this parallel, but like vastly different. So like the difference between maltodextrin versus fructose is like small relatively. And then ketones, are super different. And so they're like way more parallelized. You can think about like a highway. It's like different lanes on the same highway of, of carbohydrates. And then ketones is like a whole other turnpike. Yeah, that makes sense. Mike, did you have a question? It wasn't necessarily a question, but I'm not sure if you know, Michael, um, about when I did the 24 hour era Viper, I think that was 2022, Derek, the start of 2022. Yeah, it was the end of 2021, start of 2022, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I went out and ran a 24-hour race without eating any calories, just to like prove that it's possible to to do something like that, relying on your fat storage. 
but while I was doing it, um, I was doing a whole bunch of different testing, but one of the things that I was testing during it was testing my ketones. And the thing that surprised me in the moment, but it makes sense after, since I've had the chance to think about it, but I was expecting my ketones to be through the roof, but they really, I think the highest I ever got was like 0.8 maybe, which is not terribly high. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's not super high. It's a lot higher than nothing. Like average person sitting around is at 0.0. Right. There's definitely something going on. But like what's what's going on there is that your body's actually using them. Like your ketones wouldn't get that high if you're exerting along the way. You're like you're adding fuel to the fire, but you're also like burning a lot of fuel along the, along the way. It'd be like surprising if your ketones got super high while you're still active and burning them. Yeah. So yeah, afterwards that makes total sense. But in the moment I was slightly confused, but the thing that fascinated me was, um, the final couple miles I ended up doing, it was about a six thirty pace for the final couple miles before I finished, which I mean, it's nothing to write home about, but being 23 and a half hours in without having any calories and just relying on my ketones, I, I found it pretty fascinating that my body was still able to do something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's super metabolically efficient and really good pacing where like you were, you're either able to just run a six thirty pace off of fat and like you know, stored body fat, or you had successfully paced to where you were mainly burning fat for the first 23 and a half hours. And you had like a little bit of glycogen, like a little bit of a match to burn at the end there. Uh, but either way, like really good pacing and really good metabolic flexibility to begin with, to be able to pull that off. And it's cool. I mean, it's cool. You did that just like show you can do that. I think that our like, humans are way more resilient than I think a lot of people think. And I, I like, humans used to be endurance hunters. Like people used to just do this stuff all the time. It's like, now it's you, you're, you're relatively an outlier because most people aren't doing that kind of stuff, but like ancient humans, like, yeah, there wasn't food all the time. Like you like endurance, we would like endurance hunt antelopes. Like we were literally just like stalk an antelope. Like, I don't know you, us three plus a few other buddies, let's go stalk an antelope for the next 36 hours. Right. <laughs> like you're going to be hungry as shit. You're running, you're going to cover like 10, 15, 20 miles until the antelope gets exhausted. And everyone who's read born to run, I like probably remembers that factoid in there that over a 24 hour period, humans can go further to, further than any other animal that exists. That's crazy, right? Like we can outrun, we can go further than a horse. We can go further than a cheetah, like anything. They, they might beat us in shorter sprintier stuff, but over 24 hours, all these other animals, they have to stop or their fuel system isn't as good or something breaks in their system versus humans like can kind of just keep a 10 minute mile for a long, long, long time. And that's, you know, we're born to run. So it's cool. <laughs> it's cool that you're doing that. And uh, I think more humans have that inside of them than like realize. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also agree too. And just like what you're talking about, Zach Bitter, that the longer the distance, the more it makes sense to rely on fat, rely on ketones. Like, you know, for me doing the Cocodona 250, like, you know, I don't have any ketone shots, but I do have a lot more like nut butters and jerkies and nuts and pork rinds and stuff like that versus gels and, and all that. But yeah, basically, I just wanted to confirm everything that you guys were just talking about. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, I mean, we'll send over some ketone IQ too. Oh, okay. I won't deny that. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty, it is pretty fascinating, Michael, what you were saying, how like, 
in society is just so normalized that like, okay, like I'm going to eat breakfast and then I'm going to have a mid-morning snack and then I'm going to have lunch. Then I'm going to have a mid-afternoon snack. Then I'm going to have dinner. Then I'm going to have dessert and then maybe like a pre-bed snack. And like, if you think about it, like historically, like that doesn't make any sense. Like you're not going to have a refrigerator full of food, like even like a few hundred years ago, like that just doesn't make any sense. Like you're going to be preserving things. Yeah. But like thousands of years ago, it was like, let's hunt. We're probably not going to eat anything for a couple of days or something. And if you are, it's not going to be some high carbohydrate source for the most part. It's going to be like, like a dried meat or something or like pemmican maybe. So this is pretty fascinating like what you're talking about. Totally. And a lot of the people doing what you said, like they're not even active. They're not even like doing stuff. It's that our, our metabolism is not perfect. It like, it kind of tricks us where if you're just sitting around and you eat something sugary and you just continue sitting around, we were talking about earlier, like you're going to, your blood glucose is going to spike and then your blood insulin is going to spike in order to address that glucose. The glucose is going to dissipate. It's going to go down. If you were wearing a level or other CGM, like you see your blood glucose going down, your insulin level is still going to be a little high. And once you have high insulin and low glucose, that sends a signal to your brain that you're hungry. It's time to eat again. And, and then you get hungry, you get hangry. It's like, Oh, it's snack time. Oh, it's time to grab another ba bag of chips. So like, that's why all this stuff's super addicting. We're like, you'd be sitting doing nothing. And peanut M&Ms, potato chips, like all these, like anything that's like super sugary is going to make you addicted. No one's really immune to it. Like it's just kind of how we're wired. And it's, it's a little bit of like a weird idiosyncrasy in how we're wired where we're just trained. Yeah. If you randomly did find a patch of berries or like honey or something like, yeah, eat it up a lot, like eat, eat this, like store it up. And that was probably good in an evolutionary sense, but now when it's like, there's just overabundance of highly processed carbohydrates that like trigger that addiction response, it's not healthy at all. Uh, and it's just interesting how like, I don't like what you just mentioned about just kind of eating, you know, three meals a day plus snacks. Like you have a lot of people that are, that are taking on like way more calories than probably any of us while we're out like running a running around all day and it's because they're like hooked into the the addiction loops that are you know the big, big food companies are definitely know what's going on and definitely are taking advantage of all of that all that stuff and it's it's leading to a, like really bad metabolic health outcomes across society it's interesting too like 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 the race i ran this last weekend there's the um, ultra adventures the zion trail half but they have like a 50k 100k and 100 mile there and it's interesting, I think, like in the endurance community, how addicted people are to refined carbohydrates. And you'll mm -hmm. see that like during training and during racing, then like even post-race, it's like, oh, well, I just ran a 50K. So now I'm going to have a pizza and I'm going to have beer and I'm going to have cookies and I'm going to have chips. I'm going to have candy and it's okay because I ran a 50K. But it's like, that doesn't really equate because it's like you're eating just a bunch of refined crap that's not doing anything for you. It's not giving you any nutrition yeah, it's kind of filling you up, but it's just because you're addicted to carbohydrates and, and alcohol. And like, this is such a prevalent thing, like even from like the 5k world up until like hundreds and hundreds plus, like everybody seems to do that. And it's, it's kind of funny to me. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, what, like the good thing is that you're active and you're burning it off. But the bad thing is like, you are still spiking your blood glucose and spiking your blood insulin. And like that snappiness of response of like your body actually being able to respond to insulin that's not gonna last forever and and they're like it's totally true a lot of endurance athletes if you're just slamming sugar all the time you're not immune you're not gonna not get type 2 diabetes like you're not immune to getting insulin resistance just because you're rail thin like you're still spiking your insulin and then like it's gonna stop working over time 
what I would what I would say is like I you know not everyone needs to go like keto swear off of carbohydrates et cetera. And I do think there's a really good case for like I I eat carbohydrates. Like I think it's it's an important part of our fueling. But what I do say is like play offense on it. Like before you get absolutely rabid hungry and like go eat a bunch of cookies, eat stuff that's starchier, right? Eat sweet potatoes. Eat thing. Eat oatmeal. Eat things that have more complex carbohydrates because then you're going to replete your your carbohydrate stores like good like you know you ran a you had a big day out you're trying to recover trying to fuel up but you like you depending on your strategy like you could should have some carbohydrates but there's a difference in the character of the carbohydrates if you're having just straight candy straight table sugar that's just that's different if you're having you know 100 grams of sugar versus 100 grams of sweet potatoes or oatmeal, like something that has more complexity to it, you're going to get the same amount of refueling, the same amount of repletion of your glycogen store. So you can get out and go and do it again tomorrow. The key difference is you're, if you, if you put it on a graph of like your blood glucose over time, the difference is you're going to have the same area under the curve. You're going to have like a hill, but it's not going to be like this spiky hill. If you had a bunch of sugar all at once, your blood glucose is going to go up really high and then you're going to have to really spike your insulin to address that. If you eat something that's more complex, carbohydrate, then again, you're getting the same load. You're going to get the same area under the curve, but it's going to be more gentle and it's not going to be thrashing your blood glucose and your blood insulin as much. One analogy I like to think about is like, like the way our ears work with like hearing loss, like if you listen to something super loud, especially if you do it repetitively, you're going to lose hearing. Like if you stand right next to a jet engine, it's super loud. You're going to have less sensitive hearing over time. If you keep doing that, if you listen to something that's like medium, but you listen and you listen to it for like three hours, it's no, it's no big deal, but you might be, your ears might be saving, receiving the same amount of like total sonic energy standing next to a jet engine for a minute versus like listening to music on you know, low medium for an hour and the former is like harmful and the latter like doesn't matter. Like it's, it, you're, you're totally meant to be doing that. And similar to like sugar system, like if you have a complex carbohydrate, great. Your body knows what to do with that. What really throws a, a wrench in things is having too much super spiky, super pure sugar. It just didn't exist. Like it didn't exist in evolutionary context. We've were these fine-tuned machines over 300,000 years that just like maybe you found honey and like you climbed up a giant nest and got stung a bunch and like accessed some pure sugar sometimes in some climates, some parts of the world in some seasons, but like mainly you just did not have that. And nowadays you go into 7-Eleven and everything is just like hyper spiky processed carbohydrates. It's like, it's just not what the context of our, of our body is meant to thrive in. Yeah, I mean, that uh, CGM experience that Derek talked to you about that he and I did from Levels. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I've been doing a low-carb approach for about six years now. And the thing that I found interesting when we use those CGMs is even when I would eat fruits and honeys, like I still had hardly any kind of spike mm -hmm. in my blood sugar. And so for me, that just kind of verified that, you know, going six years without eating really any processed sugars, candies donuts any of that junk like your body can like thrive off of natural pure sugars like fruits and honeys and you know sweet potatoes and, and all that so it's, yeah. it's definitely fascinating what our bodies can do when you like clean up your diet but still 
have some form of sugars, but assuming it's a good sugar. Yeah. Assuming it's a good sugar, like, yeah, fruits, is really good. Um, and yeah, the, the complexity, like what you want to be thinking about, like, is there fiber inside of this? Is there something to basically just slow down, like applying the brakes on the total speed that that sugar is entering your system? And then, yeah, if you're having less of it to begin with, your body's not going to have an issue. It's just, yeah, it's, everything is about the like quantity of exposure. Yeah. So Michael, let's talk about like dual fueling then, like you mentioned that like your body can run both on ketones and on like sugar or glucose. And it's interesting because if you look up, like, say you just get on YouTube, you're new to running or cycling or whatever, you're like how to fuel for a marathon. Everything's very hyperpolarized. It's either all sugar or all fat. Like you never see anything really in between, which is kind of absurd because life is full of nuance. Right. So like, how would somebody say they want to run a marathon or something they want to, I don't know, whatever, they just want to run their first marathon. So like, mm-hmm. how could somebody prepare to run a marathon using both ketones and glucose and not do it all based off sugar and not just fast it or something? Yeah. Dual fueling is a, a great strategy for most people. And I agree there's nuance or if you go full sugar, you're clipping some of the benefit. If you go full fat burning, you're, you're clipping some of the benefit. It, for most people who are you know tr- trying to run a marathon or run their first ultra marathon first 50k or something the way that the way I, we always recommend it is go in a ratio of three to one of grams of carbohydrate to ketones so for every 30 grams of carbohydrates that you're taking on have 10 grams of ketones that ratio tends to work as, as far as what feels good what your body is able to digest uh, you feel better. Like, okay, so if I'm taking, you know, every half an hour, I'm going to take a goo shot and that goo shot, let's just say has 30 grams of carbohydrates in it. If you take at the same time, ketone IQ, like a shot has 10 grams of ketone IQ, then you're going to be taking on 40 grams of fuel total. And it's going to work better than if you were to have, you know, 40 grams of of just carbohydrates, you're not able, again, it goes back to the parallelization problem of like, you're not able to take on a ton of carbohydrates all at once, having two different fuel sources going through different pathways going to be advantageous. And that three to one ratio tends to work for a lot of people, people modify within that. And so what people do is like, if you have a bottle or bottles at different aid stations, like pre-mix it, like look at your pack of whatever, like whatever powder you're using, how many, how much carbohydrates are in it. And then pour in the right ratio of ketone IQ. And obviously dial this all in, in your, your training runs, like three to one is very rule of thumb guiding, guiding way to think about it based on what we've, what we've done and seen in more of our lab studies with the special operators and just elite athletes in a, in a controlled physiology test. Like that's generally what has worked, but like modify from there based on what works for you. Don't try anything new out on race day. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like don't try anything new on race day. Cause you never know what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't, like, I don't even, <laughs> I mean, you know, we all know, like, like don't even try new shoelaces. Like don't even try new sunglasses, new hat, like nothing. Like don't, yeah, just don't, don't mess with a good thing on race day. We've definitely all done that before though. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, Oh, well, this guy at the, this gal at the marathon expo said that 
I don't know, these salt tabs are really going to work. So let me go get a stomach ache right before my big race I've been training for. <laughs> or try some new shorts or something and get super chafed. You don't realize that until you take a shower afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's like you truly don't know what you don't know. It takes it takes a lot of learning to realize that. Um, it's what one thing I've been doing. Here's you guys as well. Like, is I'll uh, I've been I'll, I'll I really like taking salt tabs like in the days in a day, especially leading up to something. I find I'm able to retain water better. Like so, the, the day before a big race, I'm just like not, like noshing on salt tabs. And drinking water and not peeing it's like the salt is helping my body hold on to it that seems to help me a lot with races curious if that's something you guys have played around with yeah so thinking about or what you're just saying like i did a, a sweat test a few days ago um i yeah. guess it was thursday of last week so like four or five days ago now so we measured my sodium output per liter of sweat and like i'm a pretty heavy sweater where i'm losing like a gram and a quarter of salt per liter of sweat or per liquid or whatever intake. And so like thinking about that, and then um, I don't know if you've read the book, The Salt Fix. I um, read it. Oh, it's really yeah. fascinating. It's James DiNicolo Antonio or whatever. Is, I know uh, that guy. Yeah, I yeah. follow that guy on Instagram. I haven't read his book. Okay, yeah. So he talks about preloading with sodium prior to a race and the benefits of that. And so Precision Hydration also does a similar thing where they tell you to like drink about a gram of salt the night before, but then also mm -hmm. pre-race as well. And um uh and Tony I'm I'm asking his name I'm sorry if he's he's probably not listening but if he is I'm sorry um he recommends like quite a bit higher quantity of salt and the the reasoning is to obviously prevent cramping but also you can increase your blood volume by having more sodium in it so essentially you can increase your your output like your power output and like I've done it and it works really well for me and like like probably not going to cramp during a half marathon but even during my marathon I ran like a month and a half or two months ago I did the same thing and I felt awesome the entire time and it really does make a huge difference like making sure you're hydrating and not just diluting um whatever yeah. hydration you have with water yeah yeah that's that's really cool it's it's a fun time that we live in where there's all this knowledge out there people are writing books you can order that book and it arrives at your house tomorrow people you can just follow the author on instagram and learn probably that he's been interviewed on podcasts explaining it and then we have all these devices i think what precision hydration is super cool that like sweat test, seeing what your ratio, seeing what your ratio of liquid to different minerals in your sweat is. It, it feels like we're living in the future or like, I, I think about it, like we're, we're API-ifying the human body. If there's any other like computer science nerds out there, like we're, we're getting a sense of what the, what are the outputs of our body? Like what is the objective, like blood glucose levels? Like what is, what are our objective amounts of sodium that we're putting out in our sweat? And you don't have to go like pay $10,000 to go to the Caltech sweat slash sleep slash whatever Institute to like, to do that. Like at your home, you can measure your heart rate variability while you sleep. Like you can measure your, your heart rate while you're running and be in zone two, you can, you can measure all these things. It's really fun. I think it's added a, a layer of, of intrigue to this, to endurance sports in general. It's like, we're not just going off of feel. It's like, there's a whole, we're able to see under the hood and really optimize what we're doing. And I think a lot of other sports are like paying attention and learning from endurance athletes. Now, you know, I, 
running has always been the you know father mother sport of all other sports like the oldest sport that ever existed probably like running and wrestling are the two oldest sports and i think about it like the family tree of sports like what all the other sports now like the running is a component of it and you see it like a lot of soccer players like they're they're wondering what the hell was in kipchoge's water bottle like what the hell is Sarah Hall drinking like what is what are the best Ironman athletes drink like what are you guys doing like and and it often it's really cool to be an endurance athlete because I feel like we're five three to five years into the future from where like the NBA will will be at because all we care about is endurance and output like uh, how efficient can we be other sports to their credit there's more there's other things going on there's ball handling there's team dynamics there's all these other things that care about maybe endurance is a piece of the pie for them versus us. That's the whole, the whole darn pie. And it does feel though, like we are living in the future of like that other sports are going to inherit that in several years, like tennis players in three to five years, will probably be doing like sweat tests and all this stuff that we're doing right now today. It's pretty fascinating. Just like one, I guess like the community, how it's like, like we talked a little bit before, like with um, healthy eating and, and coffee and stuff, it's like, we're willing to like for lack of a better term, just biohack, like just try different things. And it's like, well, is this going to work for me? Or is this not going to work for me? And then yeah. with how cheap things have gotten as far as testing, like it's pretty rad that you can check like say your testosterone levels or your vitamin D levels for a very reasonable price. And even like 20, 30 years ago, that was like super expensive and like hard to do. And now you can just do it at home. Like you yeah. can just order something off Instagram and you can have a test. And within a few weeks, you can know all these different things about your body that are either lacking or doing really well. It's like super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's a super fun time to be alive. And you know, who does it a lot is, um, triathletes. Really? Triathletes are, are, I think it's because I've, I've dabbled in triathlon, done some 70.3 Ironmans and stuff. And being in that community, I'm like, I think of myself as mainly like runner that this sometimes I need a little bit of a break and go hit the bike and swim and stuff. It's a really fun community, but I think because triathletes are always kind of crap at all three sports, like that, like, <laughs> You're just not that good at any of them. Like maybe there's one you're relatively less good at, but like they all, they're all, I will say we, like we're all terrible at swimming. First of all, we're like mid runners, mid on the bike. And so, and so it's like, let me get the arrow bars. Let me get the like perfect fueling in my water bottle. Let me get the super expensive bike. And it's, it's a big thing. And I just observed in like triathlon, because there are a lot of runners who are still, I would say super old score. Like, Hey, I don't want your fancy supplement. I don't want your alpha flies. I don't want your bullshit. Like I just, just run 120 miles and eat dust and like, whatever just run with the wind there. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like there's a kind of like old school, uh, runner type. Every, every triathlete I met is a little bit like OD. Like they're a little bit like just trying to crank the knobs on everything all at once. It's, it's fun. It's uh, just loose commentary on the, triathletes that is true though i guess like with triathlon there's so many mechanical variables outside of your body that make a difference like even like swimming with a wetsuit versus without a wetsuit or yeah. like your aerodynamics on your bike and then it's like okay now you're gonna run a marathon or a half marathon it's like how can you be the most efficient in doing that or like with running specifically yeah you can get like different shoes or whatever but like in the end it's body mechanics that matter a lot more than any sort of like physical thing you can buy that's not some sort of supplement it's yeah. pretty fascinating i guess but like uh, I, I guess all I'm saying, like, I'm kind of validating what you're saying about triathletes where like, they definitely tinker a lot with everything. Cause it's like, how can I get the most bang for the buck? But also I'll spend a lot of bucks to make that bang happen. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I like what you're saying about body mechanics too, is something we didn't talk a lot about on this episode, but yeah, we talked a lot about nutrition, but just to zoom out a little bit, I do generally agree that nutrition is a piece of the overall pie. Like if I had to pick between having really good running form versus like incrementally better nutrition in my, in my fueling bottle, like get in the miles, like get in the, the form, like that is the, the thing that everyone needs to go and do. I, I don't want to ever come across as being like, like nutrition is going to magically make you like a super good runner. Like the miles are what's going to make you a good runner. Like doing the uh, dirty work. I don't know. Doing like the physical therapy, the prehab, the like activating your gluteus medius before you run so that you're using that muscle group instead of your quads more like doing all that stuff that you know you should be doing like that's what's actually going to make someone a faster runner throwing some ketones too like it'll incrementally help but like if you had to pick it's like you know, do do the actual miles and get the get your form tip top first and foremost yeah for sure it's not like taking one shot of ketone iq is going to make you run a 201 marathon or something it's like no there's a lot of effort that goes into getting that fast <laughs> yeah yeah Cool. Uh, well, let's talk about the cognitive benefits. Cause when we were starting out, you're talking about your military contract. You guys have like a $6 million contract, which is super cool. So obviously the military and the defense department see benefit in using ketones. Um, so like, I don't know, I guess you look at like special forces, they're obviously very like physically strong, capable people. Um, but also you have to be smart. You can't just be like a grunt following orders and stuff. Like you have to be able to think on your feet and then also work in very high stress situations where it's like literally life or death. So let's talk about the cognitive benefits then of, of taking a ketone and how that can, can affect your brain. Yeah, the, you got it exactly right. The way that the special forces in, engage with our ketones is that hybrid of physical and cognitive performance where it's protocols like an area that we've looked a lot at is hypoxia. So low oxygen environment where you're at 20,000 feet or we're, we're simulating it in an altitude chamber and you're rucking. So you're carrying weights and you're going up an incline. So that's all on the like physical side. And then at the, the measure that we're really looking for is at the end of all that, there's a target practice and seeing how accurate and precise you are on the shooting drill afterwards is what really matters, right? It's like, okay, if you can go, you know, 20 seconds faster on your 5k while rucking uphill cool like cool that's that's helpful but what's really interesting in that special operator community is how mentally sharp how dialed can you be at the end of that like it doesn't suit it matters less that you got to from a to b 20 seconds faster and what matters more is that you got there fresher and that you have better cognitive efficiency on the target practice afterwards, which, so like we saw an increase in cognitive efficiency, like significant increase in cognitive efficiency when people had ketones versus not. And what's going on there is that ketones, I think we've you know, covered pretty well that it's a, it's a substrate, it's a fuel source. All the cells in your body are doing metabolism all the time. So your muscle cells, your heart cells, your brain cells are doing metabolism all the time. And your brain in particular is responsive to ketones because it is a really large organ and it can't use fat. So it can't use some of the other things that other, you know, other cells in your body can use. So it's this large organ requires 20, 25% of our total energy demand and is very like greedy for ketones. When ketones are present, your brain like really slurps them up. Ketones also will power your, your quad muscle, whatever, like different muscles in your body, but your brain, especially is a sponge for 
ketones because of how we evolved the, how and why we even evolved the ability to make and use ketones. And so a lot of why we think that ketones help people in these longer endurance events is the central governor effect. The, the fact that you are able to provide your brain with fuel for longer. And it's more, it's more about your brain being able to command the output from the rest of your body by uh, people are familiar with this like central governor concept. It's like, if you're, if your brain is really fatigued, it doesn't matter if you still have juice in your body, like your, your brain is going to be the gating factor versus if your ba- brain is really sharp and fresh and you're really dialed, then you, you can always seem to squeeze another drop out of the lemon, right? You can always seem to like put, like tell your legs to shut up and go like if your brain is, is strong enough. So a lot of why we think that ketone IQ is helpful with endurance activities in general is that like brain mediated effects where ketones cross the blood brain barrier, they're preferred fuel in your brain and they help you stay sharper for longer than you would otherwise be. So another question then, like I'm working with a woman right now, um, doing a film project and she's going to go try to set the FKT on Denali in May. So it's a pretty rad project. It's been fun to work with her because like I don't ski, but watching her like do her schema workouts and like the amount of technical training that goes into mountaineering versus running. Cause like running is pretty straightforward, right? Even like a longer distance thing. It's like, well, go run. There's some planning, but whatever, like, like you could get hurt, but like, it's not as high risk as say somebody in like a 20,000 foot peak. So how would being able to run off like exogenous ketones help her in that environment? Like life or death at 20,000 feet and being physically strong. It'd be huge. The fact also that it's at altitude, which is a context that we've looked at a lot with the special operator community, that when you're at higher altitude, your blood oxygen goes down and you need oxygen in order to do metabolism. And when you're at 20,000 feet, you've gone from, you know, at, at sea level, you're at your blood oxygenation, your SpO2 is 100. When you're at 20,000 feet of altitude, you're at like 70 or in the sixties of blood oxygen. So you're able to, you're not as able to do metabolism to make energy. Ketones require less oxygen to turn into ATP. So they are an advantageous fuel source when you're at altitude. And then again, by being bioavailable and accessible, preferred by the brain, you are able to be more sharp and dialed in like stamina environments and um, hypoxic, you know, low oxygen environments in particular. So really cool. Yeah. We'd love to send some over. If anyone's summoning Denali, like let's send over some ketone IQ to, to kick around for you know, practice and leading up to that. For sure. I'm actually going to go see her today. We're going to go around the grand Canyon for a few days as training. Wow. So, um, I'll mention it to her and see what, uh, her feedback is on it. Cool. Yeah. Another question too, then like not that like high of an altitude, but like hard rock 100, for example, you start in Silverton, Colorado at like 92, 9,300 feet. And you're at pretty high altitude as far as running goes the entire time. Like you summit Handy's peak at 14,000, the low points, like seven, five ish in URA, maybe it's seven. I don't remember exactly, but like how would using like a ketone, like an exogenous ketone or even endogenous, um, ketones help while running say hard rock 100. Cause it's a lot of low intensity climbing versus just flat out fast running. Yeah. Again, like at the lower intensity work, that's where ketones are really special. If you're going to run a 5k, 10k all out at sea level, you're going to be highly glycolytic. You're going to be using glucose mainly. It's very explosive. It doesn't matter that you don't have a lot of glucose because you're not 
doing that much work for that long and you're going to be in like zone five, six, you're going to be going really hard. And so you're going to need that like super bursty fuel from, from glucose. If you're in zone two, if you're at altitude where you're again, like when you're at altitude, you're, you have less blood oxygen. So oxygen is a key component of what it takes to do metabolism. So ketones are more efficient. So the trade-off is that like, you're getting less pop, like glucose is pop, like glucose will make, like, it makes you go fast. Ketones are like the super efficient slow burn. And so if you're, if you are metabolically flexible to be able to make your own ketones, you've done a lot of training at altitude, a lot of training at zone two, you've developed all the metabolic flexibility, and then you're drinking ketone IQ, you're having exogenous ketones. It all plays into that scenario of having a fuel where you're able to turn the substrate into ATP, like your energy currency in your cells in a more efficient way. It doesn't use as much oxygen and you're able to just go more efficiently. And it, it, again, in these longer races, you're not, you're not going max out. So like you, it, your body naturally is using the fat ketone energy system at these higher altitude, longer duration, lower velocity, uh, efforts. And it, yeah, ketones are a really cool puzzle piece into that type of performance in particular. Well, interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Got us. Um, yeah. We sent over a, bu a bucket load for you to kick around. Yeah. I'd be really curious to try them like over like a longer period of time versus just like over a couple days at Moab or something. Be pretty fascinating to see. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, did you have any, um, anything to say or any comments? Well, I'm just soaking it all in. <laughs> cool. Um, well, I want to kind of jump back a little bit to something you were saying. You just, you kind of mentioned it. I don't know if you have any studies or anything to relate to this, but um, we're just talking about like runners and like the high glucose input that so many take. It's a lot of refined carbohydrates, a lot of sugars. And this is kind of normal of like, kind of like the normal thing in the running community is like, oh, well, you ran this, so you can burn it off. You're going to burn it off. You're going to burn off all these sugars and all these carbohydrates and stuff. So it's kind of like kind of this open door to eat whatever you want, like donuts and pizza and just whatever and just candy. But like, I've been thinking a lot about this recently, like especially after we did our CGM tests. So I feel like my, my blood glucose, my fasted blood glucose is too high. So I've been thinking a lot about diabetes. Like my dad's pre-diabetic, granted he eats a lot of sugary crap all the time, but like runners aren't necessarily immune from becoming pre-diabetic or type two diabetic, right? Right. That if you are spiking your blood sugar and, and your body in turn will spike your blood insulin, that you're going to eventually develop insulin resistance. Look, it's better that you're active and you're clearing out that blood glucose. It's better if you're moving around, then you're not going to have this residual high blood sugar, high blood insulin. That's better than eating a lot of sugar and sitting on your couch, but you still are spiking your insulin. Like you still are going to develop some resistance and there's a genetic component for sure. Like some people are more predisposed to insulin resistance. No one's invincible from insulin resistance either. And it's, I, I just like, wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest doing it. I think we all like our vices. And I think, look, like you got to live life. And I think also, you know, if you're mid race and you're slamming good shots, that's, that's fine. Like, you're, like for, for, for performance, that's great, but just know that that's like, first of all, all the, goo SIS, like 
Morton, all that stuff is basically candy. You can basically equ equate that to high tech starburst. Like it is just like pure sugar, which is again, if the goal is to whoop ass on the race, like, cool, like that's gonna, that's gonna work. And it's, it's not a major sin to have that on big efforts. Uh, but I would just say that it's like, if you're matter of fact of how you live life is like after every run, you're like slamming ice cream and cookies. It's like, yeah, like we're not uh, like, are you trying to be a performance athlete or not? Like, what are you, what are you trying to do? Like, it, like you, you can maybe get away. I think you can get away with it because you're just burning so much calories that you might like look really fit from the outside. But I mean, there's that saying you cannot outrun a bad diet. Like if you're having the wrong things, um, they're not like tricking your, your body. Like your, I don't know, your biochemistry is not going to like be tricked by the fact that, Oh, you're skinny. It's, if you're constantly spiking your blood insulin, I would just like, we were talking about like other strategies earlier. Like some people do prefer, they do like having carbohydrates as part of their fueling strategy. It feels good. And maybe you feel really slow and crappy. If you go for a big run and you don't have some carbohydrates afterwards, like that's all fine and good and well, I would just, again, say like, have something more starchy, have your fruits, have your oatmeal and put some honey in it. Like have something that is more fibrous and is able to replete your carbohydrate without spiking your insulin. Cause that, that is just what you want to avoid is those, those blood sugar, blood insulin spikes. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting having been in the sport for so long now. And like Mike's the same way, and I'm sure you as well, but you just see people where they just constantly just consume that stuff all the time. Cause really like you're saying, like gels are just like candy. So if you're going to go do a long run on gels or sports drink and you come back, just consume a lot more essentially candy and just crap. It's like, okay, you're not going to outrun a bad diet. And it's interesting to see how like a lot of younger people when they start doing ultras, it's like, Oh, I'm 21. I'm just going to eat Swedish fish and sour patch kids all day, every day. And then 10 years later, you see these same people are like, okay, I need to clean up my diet because my recovery sucks. And yeah. my run suck now. It's like, yeah, like we told you that 10 years ago, but it, I guess everybody has to come to, um, I don't even know what you would call it like a realization, I guess that like you, like you're saying, you cannot run a bad diet. Like eventually eating all that crap's going to catch up to you, whether it's sooner or later. Yeah. Yeah. I think you said it really well. Yeah. Um, well, we got to, we all got stuff going on. So we got to wrap up here in a second, but, um, Mike or Michael, you guys have anything you want to just say real quick before we, uh, sign off? I mean, I know I've been pretty silent, but I think it's awesome what you're doing, Michael. Um, I think the this product is great. I had a chance. Um, somebody in your marketing department reached out to me a month or two ago and sent me a bunch to try. And like, I the the last I, I I saved a shot for a race that I did a little bit ago, and I you know I took that shot before the race started, and like you know I definitely noticed I ate less, even though I already am fat adapted. I noticed that I had a better amount of energy for that part of the race. Um, so I think it's a great product. I think it's worth trying out. And I just, I, I had no idea what HVMN stood for. And now that I know, like, I, I love that name even more. <laughs> um, but I just, I love what you're doing. And I, I hope, you know, people who are listening will have the opportunity to try your product because it's great. Thanks so much, Mike. And thanks Derek for having me on. I encourage everyone to you know, drop a line, say hello. I'm active on social media. My handle is michael d brandt on instagram say say what's up love to hear from people and see one or both of you at coca in a few weeks here really excited for that i 
Mike, you're running it. Derek, you're, you, you, I'm pacing someone. I'm not, I'm doing yeah, a, a, I'm pacing crewing and shooting photos, but I'll be at the start line though. So we'll definitely say hi in person. That'd be nice. Cool. Cool. And then, yeah, anyone else who's listening in is say hello to the guy running around with a, I don't know, a bunch of red sunrise bottles. Key to an IQ. I'll give you one or two. It should be pretty easy to spot out there. Yeah. yeah. I know a lot of the people that I coach or uh, listen to this podcast, but then they also will be at Cocodona too. So hopefully they'll come up and talk to you now that they know you'll be there. Sick. Awesome guys. Well, um, let's, uh, let's wrap this up then. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I have nothing else to say. So I guess we'll call it there.